Hi, Bestie. Hey. How are you? I'm real tired. How are you? We're both on like the loopy <laughs> spectrum of we did just spend like 10 minutes on Google Scholar looking up like academic articles on Teen Wolf. You guys have written a lot about Steric, and by you guys, I mean the academic community <laughs> studying Teen Wolf. I just don't know if it's there. I can't say that I understand it. Um, so meanwhile, someone so. with a PhD is like, well, I do. <laughs> Okay. I mean, here's the thing. When you, I feel like when you get a PhD and you're talking about like fiction or literature, like things that are just objectively not real, you can say whatever the fuck you want as long as you have a good argument. That's true. I once wrote an essay so absurd in high school that my AP lit teacher gave me an A minus. Uh, the A was for the quality of the writing and the minus was for the you can't prove this, which he said at the top of the essay in red pen. I remember when we were given um, a project in my IB English class to like analyze song lyrics and my this... You can tell uh, how old I was when I was in high school because my group decided to do Rebecca Black's seminal classic Friday. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> because we had been talking about like existentialism and existentialist literature and we were like, this is an existential masterpiece. Um, can I also sitting say? Sitting in the front seat, sitting in the back seat. We got an A. Yeah. Okay. Can I also <laughs> say though, if Friday like, <laughs> comes on, I have a good time. It's so, but I think it's because of like the positive memories associated with it. Kind of, but I'm also just kind of like, yeah. It's I also ride for Rebecca Black just in general. Like she seems like a cool, cool girl. I have seen her every once in a while on TikTok. Yeah. She's a gay. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. That's what we're all, that's what we're here for. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think that this really, like I could go to grad school and just like, you know, say fuck anything about Teen Wolf and get it published, you know, with the right support behind mm-hmm. me. So there's nothing saying that this podcast is not a <laughs> subject to being considered academia. It's like academia is a a crushing career to choose and it's like really hard and terrible, but it's also, you can do things like that. Yeah. So it's not the worst thing in That's the world. That's what they say about grad school is that like once you only have to take classes that you like, it's way better than undergrad. I will say though, I could take whatever class I wanted in undergrad outside mm-hmm. of my acting degree. So I had a great time. Well, when I was thinking, I mean, I'm always constantly thinking about grad school, but like if I had m- infinity money and also I was a vampire and just like could go to college all the time, I wanted to like get a master's and like write a like a master's thesis on postmodernism and Japan. Like I, I, I want it. I want it. But there's those are the, your two favorite things to talk about are your po- the postmodernism <laughs> class you took with the lovely EJ Westlake yes. and your Japanese film class. Um, because they were formative influences on me. Um, and realizing how little I know about actual culture because I'm always learning. Yeah. We are yeah. always learning. We're always learning. Hashtag always learning. Yeah. What have you learned from this podcast, guys? They're like a shitload about you and nothing about Teen Wolf. Okay. Got me. You got me there. Oh, right. This podcast is the Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we're about ready to rock and roll with the episode. But first, we have a new review to read out. <gasps> yes, we do. Would you like to do the honors this week? Um, I sure would. Let me pull it up. Is because we are now on Audible, in case we didn't let you know that last time. And um, if you are an Android user and you do not have iTunes, Audible is another place where you can leave us reviews if you wanted to do that. Yeah, we've had a lot of people be like, iTunes ate my review. Sorry. 
So even if you are not an Android user, it turns out that this is maybe a good, um, you know, alternative alternative so this one comes from danny d who is an active member of our facebook page and uh really fun on instagram she's great and she says i can't think of anything clever so and then the heart emoji um so often my time is spent getting lost in different fictional worlds but i almost never have anyone to discuss them with that's what brought me to this podcast almost two years ago uh, every week I look forward to the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. It is insightful and, and irreverent while managing to be fun and engaging. Thank you, ladies, for the sense of community you provide. Thank you, Danny, for being such, also providing that sense of community because you are so active in the Facebook and like this community is based on you guys, not us. Mm-hmm. Like we just started the Facebook group. We have the Twitter, but like I love seeing like our listeners like reply to each other like on yes. Twitter and stuff. That's the best. Like I love that we're just like introducing people from all walks of life to just, you know, talk about nerdy shit, you know? And uh clearly that is the thing that we love to do. So we love to see it in yeah, other people. We just spent the first five minutes of this podcast talking <laughs> about like fandom and academia. Mm-hmm. So you all are in the right place. And it turns out so are we. <laughs> I mean, thank God, because otherwise this would be very awkward for uh, all of us. Yeah. You know, when you walk into the wrong classroom, you know, that was like a recurring nightmare for me. And I don't know that it ever happened. You ever walk into the wrong bathroom? Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know what I do? <laughs> just fucking use it. <laughs> like there's not like I, you just have to use that big dick energy and be like, I mean, you know, metaphorical, you I'm know, not using the <laughs> urinal, for example. <laughs> I actually do think that I probably have like gone into the wrong classroom before, but like it's always when the class first started and like within the first couple of minutes, I realize I'm not supposed to be there, but I'm like too awkward to walk out. Uh, yes. My propinquity for timeliness definitely helps the not walking into the wrong classroom aspect. Yeah. Um, I also have been out of school for three years, so it's truly not a concern anymore. One of my um, new coworkers and I were talking about having grown up in Montgomery County and she was telling me what high school she went to and she was like oh I probably graduated like many years before you did and I was like ma'am I graduated from high school almost 10 years ago yeah oh god oh god oh god God. (laughs) I hate that you just said that um anywho anyway let's let's talk about Teen Wolf I don't want to think about you know aging old yeah well I told you that uh, a child uh, told me that I was born in the 1900s (laughs) oh yes well when I had to take my sister to the hospital She's fine. Um, but the nurse looked at me and was like, oh, are you her mom? Oh, God. And I, well, I had a mask on, but I was like, oh, I really need some Botox on my forehead. <laughs> it's like wrinkle cream immediately. I um, remember my brother had like kind of a mean but cool girlfriend for a really long time. She's the best. Um, but I was like, oh, God, I could not be bothered to wash my makeup off. And she threw a fit. She was like, you wash your makeup off and you put fucking wrinkle cream on. You know why? You know why? Because it doesn't last forever. And I was like. Lene, we don't really look that different in age, but I was also like, it's because she uses the wrinkle cream. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's always the mean but cool girls. Yes. Who got your back. Yeah. I like to think that I'm a mean but cool girl, but unfortunately I might just be mean. <laughs> once again, once again, I'm not necessarily nice, but I'm kind and that's what counts and you are too. Hey, thanks. Ding. Uh, we are about to be mean though, because we do have to talk about season five of Teen Wolf. Ugh. This episode is called Condition Terminal. Okay. 
it, that's it how was, they say it. <laughs> no, I know. Um, it was written by Ian Stokes, who we've uh, heard from before, and directed by Bronwyn Hughes. Um, Directing who, was the real one of this episode. Oh, it looked fantastic. Really good. Um, she's also directed on Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead, so this is very much her genre. Her genre? Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly has worked on more quoth-on-quoth prestige projects. <laughs> Teen Wolf is prestige, obviously, but it's not... It's crazy to me that a show about zombies is prestige. That show sucked. Okay, also, I, this is obviously a personal opinion, but I gave it my six-episode watch, and it, it did not catch me. I've never been a huge zombie person, so maybe it's not the show that sucks. It's The only zombie the media I have ever liked is Resident Evil, and I really couldn't tell you why. Shaun of the Dead. There's that. Yep. Um, but Zombieland. You love Woody oh, Harrelson. Oh, I, I do love Woody Harrelson, and I do love Zombieland. It's the Twinkies. Yeah. Okay, so this episode is called Condition Terminal, and uh, we're going to have to do the recap before we get into our discussion, right? Yeah, I actually think that this might go a little bit better than it has been, because I only used the one page of notes this time, me personally. It could go worse if you get cocky, though, so like, it could. rein it in. Stay babe. humble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what's really going to humble me? Having to go first. Yeah, and... Um, I don't know. I feel like I always ask you, are you ready? Because I want to give you time to prepare, but maybe Literally I should just start Literally not any more than it. usual, so... Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you are going to recap this episode for us in three, two, one, go. So, like, Lydia burns Parrish's hand to prove that he's something, and then there's a card trick, and then Styles and Scott show up to the police station, and Lydia is hurt, and then, like, um, Donovan is captured by the Dread Doctors, and then Lydia goes to the hospital, and Liam tells Scott about the holes that they that Tracy was in, and Lydia hallucinates the Dread Doctors, and then Styles and Malia do the murder board thing, and then Deaton rolls up to explain to Scott that these creatures are not are super unnatural, okay, and then that they're, like, combo creatures, and then um, Parrish uh, is... Something, uh, the bio teacher explains what chimeras are. Um, uh, Theo talks to Donovan at the Dread Doctor Hub co- headquarters, and then there's a night. The Styles and no, 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 uh, Liam and Mason go to the nightclub, and then Styles and Millie are in the library trying to find out what these kid things are in the uh, bestiary. And then uh, Corey is at the hospital, and he's like, "Lucas stung me." And then Lucas is at the nightclub, and then Scott and Kira and uh, Brett and Liam fight him, and they Kira almost kills him because she freaks out with Foxfire. Also, Skira, I love you. And then the Dread Doctors show up and kill Lucas for real. You are so, so close. I think I did a good job. I got a little caught up. Like, I, I had some yeah. mouth mush, but yeah, I feel yeah. like if I had better articulation, I would have gotten through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you can reach the end. I Every time I lift up my notes to look at them, I feel like I need reading glasses on top of my contacts because I'm... I can't see. So you might just need to get your uh, <laughs> my prescription eyes changed um, there. Yeah, but I don't have uh, vision insurance. I'll list you as ding, a dependent. <laughs> we could talk about that later. Okay, so, cool. <laughs> um, so now I'm going to try to to recap. Yes, and you have a minute. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay, so we get a flashback with Lydia and Parrish doing their fire stuff, and he dreams of the nematon. And then we're back to the present, and the Dread Doctors come for Donovan in the sheriff station. The gang shows up to save Lydia, but she's still really hurt, and Tracy isn't changing back, and the sheriff is like freaking out. The Dread Doctors pull out Donovan's teeth because they're changing him. They're all at the hospital with Lydia, and she is hallucinating the Dread Doctors on the table. Malia and Styles are having their little murder board moment, and Malia decides that she doesn't want to find the Desert Wolf anymore. It's a cute little scare moment. And then Deaton interrupts them trying to figure out what's up with Tracy because she crossed the Mount Nash, and she's clearly not super natural Parrish is protecting Lydia in the hospital and they learn about the chimera and bio class Theo comes to talk about Donovan he does some like villain monologuing Liam and Mason decide to go to a club that Hayden works at um we get a first glimpse of the beast of Javadon um Corey is at the hospital um and he you know 
tells him that it was a scorpion and he was stabbed by a kid named Lucas. Um, we're at the club and everybody starts to fight each other. And then, um, you know, they say, show up to save the day. Um, <laughs> Scott tells Kira that he loves her. There's a fight scene in the club. Yeah, Malia. Um, Ooh, that is time, baby. Okay, so some things we missed. Malia finds the Dread Doctor's book in Tracy's room. That feels key. Yes. Um, there's a little moment between Mama McCall and Scott about doing the right thing. And then Parrish um, takes lucas's body to the nematon and styles is trying to fix his jeep when donovan shows up and grabs him with his little sucker hand Ugh. <laughs> disgusting really gross i mean it it's disgusting to describe and to watch yeah so um but su- that's it supernatural wraith and em- like energy it's so gross yeah i love it mm-hmm a good body horror in this episode. We'll um, get to that. I love talking about the blood and guts, y'all. Same. But before we get there, we're going to talk about this episode through the theme of instinct. How our characters are acting on instinct, how they're ignoring their instinct, um, and how, you know, instinct is different to everybody based on life experience. Um, often acting on my instincts does not look like what <laughs> it is when Julia acts on her instincts. That is the plight of an Aries living with a cancer. Uh, it's just a lot of emotion on my part dinner the other day somebody was like what's your sign i was like i'm an aries and she's like what's your roommate sign i was like she's a cancer and she was like oh how do you do that and i was like we get out our frustrations on a teen wolf podcast (laughs) (laughs) um once i just really feel like people um underestimate the power of door closing you know like to recharge headphones in baby headphones in gilmore girls on for me personally Mad Men on, Mad if men we're on. talking about you. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, where do we want to start in our conversation on discussion? I feel like the obvious answer is um, maybe Parrish and Lydia. Yeah. They kind of kick off the show, and Lydia is somebody whose power is dependent on instinct, right? Yeah, she just knows things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She knows things. Um, I drink and I know things. Um <laughs> But she right now is channeling that energy into, I think part of her is hoping that in like instinctually she will come to the conclusion about what Parrish is. And she's taking kind of risks with him based on what she's sensing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning when she holds out his hand and like, like flicks the lighter to see if it burns, she, you know, obviously it hurts him at first. And then she's just kind of like, no, like let your body take over. Like, let yourself calm down and, like, let, you know, whatever power it is take hold. Let your own instincts take over. And he walks away scot-free after she holds that lighter under his hand for, you know, a minute or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really interesting to me that Lydia is now trusting her instincts so much she's willing to risk the safety of other people. I mean, she obviously already has a pretty big siren one. She obviously already has a pretty big, like, uh, indicator that he's going to be fine, given the fact that he almost burns to death. Mm-hmm. This is a zesty siren. It's just going on and on. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> I feel like we do have to mention that the sirens are not just an inconvenience. They're for emergencies. Yes. Um, and we, um, are, we are glad to and, have help. And I think that in part, like Parrish is trusting his instincts to trust, trust Lydia. And I don't know if that's because they're into each other a little bit, or if it's because they have like the natural bond of, um, you know, being the bearer of death and the harbinger of death. 
Uh, what do you think? Uh, that's actually what I was going to say, um, that they are both creatures of death, I would say. Um, you know, Lydia finds the bodies and Parrish carries them to where they need to go, which is like such a heavy burden to bear for both of them. And I think that Lydia has spent so much time feeling so alone in her powers and she's met Parrish and she can't, um, you know, describe what he is, but instinctually she knows that they have something in common. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why she's so invested in trying to help him figure out what that is. Um, And I don't know. I I like that she has someone now. Yeah, I just wish it wasn't some guy, like some old. I just wish it wasn't some dude. I say old as if Parrish is not canonically younger than me, but like some guy who is significantly older than her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like instinctually they are drawn to each other, um, and I think that there was a way to do that more platonically, Teen Wolf, Um, and. I think that's sort of like why they have such, you know, allowances with each other. I would even be interested in the plot line in a plot line that actually broke down. Like it wasn't so much attraction as it was like sexual attraction as it was like metaphysical, like we are, you know, Mm -hmm. unique type of attraction. Well, and that is so common. I think in like fantasy tropes of people being attracted to each other just because they share a commonality, um, or like a magical commonality. And it might not be something that either of them necessarily like want, but it is just an instinctual part of who they are because of what they share. Yeah. Um, it's a well-worn trope. I just think it was better. I wish it was better handled. Yeah. Um, but I also sort of just talking about Parrish, there is a level of instinct that he doesn't recognize in, his, in his, himself because that's how strong it is. You mm-hmm. know, it literally, when he goes to, to carry the bodies to the nematon, he has no idea he's doing it. It is completely like animal mode, I guess is the way I'd say it. And as somebody pointed out to us recently on Twitter, like, Technically, Parrish was lost in that explosion and the hellhound overcame him, but he's still there, you know, and it's like occupying the same space. Mm-hmm. But the hellhound instinct is so strong, it moves Parrish to the back, you know, to a place where he's no longer cognizant of, of what he's doing or experiencing. And there's something so ritualistic and kind of beautiful about carrying those bodies to the trees and even burning them. Like I'm reading this book on death right now um, about death traditions from all over the world. And the first recorded cremations were in like ancient Greek times, Mm. you know, that has like often and, you know, spanning all cultures been a way of like how we care for our dead. And that is like, I find it sort of really caring in a way, even in the way that he sort of carries them like Pieta style. It's Mm -hmm. like, with grace um and that feels like a big part of actually parishes instincts over the hellhounds you know because mm-hmm. he's so like a care such a caretaker yeah as you were saying that i was thinking not necessarily about um death and death traditions but about trauma and how you know when you go through really a trauma of any kind, like your brain is doing its best to protect you, which is why, you know, a lot of times if you experience a trauma, you can't really remember it. Um, or you like say that, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not going to like engage with that. And to me, kind of when the hellhound takes over parish, that is the hellhound, um, taking over because like it can, and it can, like, the hellhound can be the one to deal with this grief and the, like, psychological burden of ferrying the dead to the underworld. Um, and it just so happens to inherit 
inhabit Parrish's body. Yeah, and you know what? I wouldn't even say that to a hellhound, bringing the dead to the underworld is a psychological burden. I think to Parrish it would be, but to the hellhound it's like a homecoming type of situation. And so the hellhound can do it and does. Yeah. Um, Which is really interesting to see. I really love the concept of the hellhound, um, especially because I feel like they're usually um, agents of destruction and not um, care. Yeah, yeah, like the Percy Jackson super supernatural versions of hellhounds mm-hmm. are truly not not the same. Um, and I, you know, I think Teen Wolf does a good job of of reflecting sort of monstrosity as 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 um, caring beings. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I guess, <laughs> the point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think we have more to say about Parrish and Lydia a little bit in our in our observation section. Should we move on to talk a little bit about? You know, I want to talk about Malia. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh, what is happening? Chicago. Mm. Again, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Are you okay? The answer is well, probably. I, that was in such quick succession, I almost wonder if it was for the same emergency. Same thing, probably. Yeah. Um, so Malia is starts this episode on high alert, you know, she's like really, um, having kind of a sensory overload moment where she's processing the fact that Tracy is dead and that the dread doctors killed her, but she has no way of articulating correctly in that moment, what she saw to make it make sense to other people that they inherently doubt her. And there's sort of a, um, clashing of instinct where Malia knows that she's going to be doubted because she's experienced it before and has, um, her own self-doubts about her morality. Um, And the people around Malia are still learning to kind of trust her. And that includes styles, which makes me sad. Um, So all of a sudden she is one doubting her instincts about, you know, what she saw and how she's processing it and fighting against other people's instincts uh, in reference to their feelings of her. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a dark place to be. Well, and especially considering it gets played for laughs so much now um, in like the later seasons, but Malia literally was a wild animal for years. Um, And, you know, your natural instinct is to kind of like avoid conflict and to run away from trouble like that. And um, the fact that she's staying and trying to confront it and, um, even though she knows that other people are having these doubts and these instincts about what might've happened based on how they view her. Um, she's kind of trying to fight against, I think her natural instinct to freak out about it or run away. Um, which isn't explicitly said, but I feel like that's, no, no, I think you're right. And I think that a little bit ties into her erasing the desert wolf from Stiles's murder board is that she recognizes what other people sense about her what she has doubts in herself. And I think she decides that she's just going to cut whatever that part of her is out. Well, and this is such a continuation of, um, senior scribe when she decides to put her name down as Malia Tate instead of Malia Hale. Like she is trying to claim her identity and that means kind of erasing whatever innate instincts she might've gotten from her biological parents and i think that's a really interesting comment to be made that identity and instinct can go hand in hand Mm -hmm. you know if you are not a person who acts on your instincts how do you identify Mm -hmm. um or acts on your impulses or whatever 
Um, or how do you identify because you choose not to? It's, it's a really interesting question to pose that I think, I think, you know, that is again, like Teen Wolf thesis, you know, Scott is able to not identify as a monster because he doesn't act on his monstrous instincts. Mm -hmm. I, it's kind of funny, um, because I I feel like one of the great, um, sociological human questions is it nature versus nurture. And I think Teen Wolf is often telling us that it is nature, but it is active choices about going with or against your nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, in regards to, um, Malia Styles is having a really hard time uh, reconciling his instincts with the instincts of everyone around him. You know, even when Theo saves Lydia, and I think that there's a sort of um, surface level way to read this, which is I said he's jealous that, you know, Theo was the one to jump in and be able to save Lydia because he doesn't have the emotional tie to her that Styles says that prevents him from, you know, acting. Mm-hmm. But I really think that Styles is mostly just still being like something is upsetting me because I just watched somebody I know is evil do something good. And that means that he is further ingratiating himself to the people around me who do not have the instinct that I have towards him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that styles kind of fears maybe being replaced and uh, or not replace necessarily, but like welcoming new people into the pack means that styles doesn't necessarily hold the same amount of um, weight or power that he used to, because there are other voices being added to the conversation. Um, and the fact that like other people aren't trusting him on like who to let into the pack um, based on his instincts is must be infuriating to him. Yeah. Like I think styles is like I, a Republican and Theo is Puerto Rico. It's like, yeah. you can't be a state. <laughs> not not allowed not allowed styles is of course not a republican but that's the example um because he would diminishing diminish his you know um authority in Mm -hmm. in the pack government um yeah and i i think that we're gonna be seeing that that because styles has been acting on his impulses and his instincts uh in a way that doesn't reflect the rest of the pack's um actions that is going to be one of the things that leads to um, the downfall of Scott and Styles's friendship in the next couple episodes because we know that Donovan dies in the next episode. Spoiler alert, but it's also <laughs> season five, so where the hell have you been? Um, and while I disagree vehemently with that uh, plot line because it's you just can't write miscommunication with people who we know have excellent communication skills with each Mm -hmm. other. I do think that that's an interesting setup that like, because Styles seems like he's being really rash right now, even though he's not, um, it's, uh, an, an easy thing to be like, well, you were acting in your paranoia and whatever, instead of rational thought. Yeah. Well, I also think that there's historically in Teen Wolf been kind of a difference between, um, Styles's instinct that allows him to be the planner and to be like one step ahead of everybody else and to, you know, um, be the person who figures stuff out versus his instincts when it comes to um, how people should be treated or how problems should be handed, handled. Um, because, you know, Styles doesn't really seem to have a problem with like getting rid of people or, you know, if murder were on the table. I think Styles could find a way to rationalize it and that 
not like murder, murder. No, but no, 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 no. I had a thought on yeah. that because I agree. Mm-hmm. And I, I said this to you while we were watching the thesis of this season being like, we don't kill people. And the previous sort of idea in season four of being like, anybody can do anything for the right price for the right reason, which obviously like, you know, there's a reason why like manslaughter charges exist. And oftentimes that that is like, vehicular but (laughs) um sometimes people literally do not mean to kill somebody it is because they are doing whatever they need to do in that situation to protect themselves because that's how the human brain works like Mm -hmm. your sense of protection is so much higher than anybody can even really process until you're in a situation like that not that i've ever been in a situation like that no but um i get it and i think that it's a huge step back to be like Styles, we don't kill people when it's like, again, anybody can do anything for any reason. Well, and it's also so frustrating for the right reason, not any reason to, to come off of season three, a where Jennifer is murdering people because she sees them as sacrifices. And she sees that as like a way to bring balance back to the world. And I don't think that they could have written her story in a way that I would have agreed with her at all, but I get the concept. Um, and then you have three B where styles is taken over by the Nugitsune and is killing people. And while he is not cognizant of that, he still has to deal with like the ramifications and the responsibility of it. And then Scott turns into a berserker. So to go back to this everybody makes it out alive idea when we know that they haven't just a major backtrack I, even jackson as the canima literally yeah literally it's like they forgot it what they already did insane it is actually <laughs> insane that nobody nobody that J- jackson and styles both walk away from being the canima and being the new kids and nobody calls them a murderer and then the second that this happens with donovan we're not even talking about this episode yet nobody can find reason to be like, I bet there's an explanation for this. Mm, okay. Um, so let's maybe talk about Scott's instincts. Oh. Scott instinctually says, I love you to Kira. And she's like, <laughs> you know what you just said changes everything, right? And you're not even listening to me. Oh my God, Kira is so flipping cute. She's adorable. Every time Kira opens her mouth, it's like a diary entry that nobody's <laughs> listening to. And it's just a joy how sort of open she is. I deeply relate to that. Um, yeah, it is so stinking cute. And the fact I love those moments because it's just so pure. And I I love Scott and I love that he is like the moral center of the show. I wish he was not like required, obligated to be the pure little human baby um, that he is. And but this is a moment where it really works for me because um, it's just so because it's so spontaneous and it's so just what he feels in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely means it. He's so impressed with her when she turns like breaks the alarm with her throwing star. Babe, me too. Yeah, it was it was very cute. Same. Um, but more more so than that, like Scott um, has a conversation with Melissa where she basically tells you, tells him, I can't ask you to act against your instincts. And that would be a terrifying thought for a mother in her position. Um, and clearly something she's had to come to terms with. And I just wish that conversation had circled back a little bit more to like, I hope that you really evaluate that what you're doing is right. And, or like actually seek, you know, answers from the people around you rather than, you know, running off on your own righteousness, which is what Scott tends to do. 
because it ultimately uh, leads to a huge failing in his character in this season. And I wish that that was kind of more where the conversation led. But what she does say is like, I can't stop you from doing the right thing, which I was like, that is reductive. It's so reductive. And I, what frustrates me about this is we kind of see, you know, more of Melissa being proactive in terms of the whole supernatural thing. Like when she takes Lydia into surgery, she's just trying to be prepared for all scenarios. Like she's an active participant. An interesting foil to Sheriff who does not want to go about things in the like order of the supernatural, you know? Yeah. Um, Kind of also a step back. He's gotten pretty used to doing stuff with the werewolves. I mean, I kind of, like, I kind of get it in that moment. No, I also get it, too. I think when dead teenagers start showing up and you, like, as a, hopefully as a sheriff, you want to do right in the justice system, which is impossible in America. Um, But if we're operating within what the sheriff believes is right, then, you know, uh, of course it is, like, crazy to... Not like, and not only is Tracy like a dead teenager, but she's also murdered three people. Like that is so massive to comprehend um, and horrible. And the sheriff is in a state of shock. Clearly. Clearly. I also just think he's a person who like believes in due process. Yeah. Hmm. What a a thought. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Melissa, and I really wish that we saw more of her because I, she takes a a more active role, but we haven't really seen much of a transition to that. And I wish that Scott maybe leaned on his mom a little bit more, especially now that Derek isn't around and Deaton is like, I'm going to fuck off for a couple of days. Of course you are. Like the man just chooses days. He's like, by the way, I will not be useful for the next six episodes. So it's like, you weren't even useful for this one. So thanks. Yeah. And if anyone in Beacon Hills needs a vet, shit out of luck. Yeah. My guy. There's probably like one vet, you know, my mom grew up in a really small town and her dad was the one dentist in town. So everyone called her dad doc. Can't imagine how the town doctor felt. (laughs) But when we were growing up, like, even we called him Doc. He was Papa Doc, not the dictator. Just my Papa, who was a dentist. <laughs> it's still very funny. Yeah, it is funny. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just wish that we saw more interactions between Melissa and Scott. And I also think it's really clear that Scott gets so much of this instinct from his mom, who is a caretaker. Like, that is her job. And it almost feels as though it is sort of, like, the copy paste version of it. Like, Mm -hmm. like something about it didn't translate well. And the way that I think as a medical professional, and even as we see Melissa in the way that she chooses to act in the show, it feels very structured and it feels very situational dependent. Whereas Scott is again, surfing the wave of his unrighteousness. Yeah. Which also feels out of character in this season. At least I think that there are, you know, I think in there are allowances to be made in other seasons, and right now we're just not seeing it, so I'm a little conf- confusion. I think that the consistency of Scott's character um, becomes a, a problem, actually. Because he doesn't grow. Yeah. So it's actually not out of character. It's, like, so... You didn't give us any time to process it, and so it feels out of character. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, and I, I, we'll get more into this, like, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. This is episode four of, five, of 20. 20. 20. Um, good, good gracious. Good gracious. I think we're doing all right, though. I think we've been relatively uh, forgiving. I think so, too. Um, let's talk about Kira for a second. She wasn't a huge part of this episode, except for that beautiful part. The Skira, the Skira, I love you. Kira is in 
I almost wish we had brought her up when we were talking about Parrish. Mm-hmm. Completely consumed by the animal part of her. And there is an element to which, like, when Parrish takes over, it is, like, again, like, a sort of, like, how do you care for your dead type of thing. And when the fox takes over Kira, it is a little bit Nogitsune-ish. I think it's really important that we introduce that, like, the no- like there are evil foxes, like, evil fox spirits. Because... You don't, obviously Kira isn't evil, but when she's out of control of the the thing that makes her powerful and that part of her acts on its instincts, that's how she almost kills Lucas and it scares the shit out of Scott as it would anyway, because that's not a, a killer be killed fight. Yeah. Um, well, I think that really plays to, um, the minimal, minimal amount of Kitsune lore that we've been introduced to. Um, because like she's not, um, a Nogitsune, um, but we're very clear on the fact that Kitsunes are tricksters. And I don't know if any of you've ever read any trickster mythology, but they do what they want. Yeah they're not operating within like normal moral standards. Um, and it makes total sense that like Kira is being threatened by this creature that no one's ever seen before, um, Mm -hmm. who was threatening to kill her friends and her family. And it, you know, it makes sense for the Kitsune to come out to protect. And also it's kind of vengeance seeking. Um, and it must be really terrifying to her. Yeah. I mean, like also I think when you have a, character who is you know um true good you know her alignment as kira is yes yeah. kira is and then to have her you know protecting force be chaotic neutral yeah when people um try to ascribe neutral and especially chaotic neutral to certain people they often mean it as a, a compliment but it's not necessarily positive no because neutral neutrality isn't is, either that's the yeah, thing yeah um and I think that 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 frightens Kira because her Kira's instincts and the fox instincts are clearly in opposition, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be something that we watch her struggle through. And I think we've we've kind of been building up to this in our past couple of themes where we're like we're going to start seeing Kira break down. I think this is the first moment that we do see that. Um, let's talk about Liam and Mason really quickly, and then wrap it up with Theo. Got Liam it. is very much on top of his instincts in this episode. It's kind of cool, yeah, to see. It feels like Liam, and we obviously had a six months gap, six month gap in between four and five. But uh, this guy picked up on werewolf cl- werewolf school. He obviously had a way better teacher, but he picked up on werewolf school way faster than anyone else. And I don't know. I mean, I was gonna say maybe it's because he's younger, but he's the same age as Scott. I think when he's first turned, um, uh, I think Liam was fifteen and Scott was sixteen. But either way, like. Um, but also like Liam, (laughs) Liam has had really good teachers and, um, I don't know. It's, it kind of seems like he was so much more ready to accept it because Scott spent, I think a significantly more amount of time trying to deny his wolf nature in the first season. And Liam is just kind of resigned to that fact. Um, even when he even when he's not sure about whether or not he should be part of the pack, like he, seems to be able to manage it um, once he figures out his whole control issue. Um, And I think that's like the key for him, which is neat. It's neat to see. It is totally neat to see. I think against like Scott's um, sort of determination to get through things 
is is in part because it like in part causes that. Whereas Liam, I feel like is somebody who feel like who feels like things happen to them. Um, you know, not in a, in, a, in a denying responsibility thing, but in like a sort of consequences way where like Liam experiences like weird guilt for a lot of things. And I think that that just sort of made it easier for him to be like, well, this is it. You know, this is part of my life now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like Liam is on high alert the entire time they're in the club called cinema with an S uh hilarious i also like love the idea of a movie themed nightclub i would just sit there and watch the movies no i wouldn't no. i would be dancing <laughs> when this i was like i love a good teen wolf rave i want to be at a club right now i yeah. know it is wednesday but but it's the panini press it makes you want to be at a club on wednesday yeah yeah i mean we're vaccinated i guess we could go to a club on wednesday if we weren't didn't have jobs <laughs> And also, can you imagine how bleak that would be? It would be really sad. Just real sad <laughs> just, people. Just for the now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he keeps trying to tell everybody in that club that something is up. And at first, it's because he keeps seeing the Dread Doctors, which we later find out are there because they're stalking Lucas because he's a failed experiment. Um, but he, before anyone, is like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I know I need to do something about this and rallies the troops. And it's really interesting to me that that's sort of like a Scottism mm. that Liam is picking up on and is able to sort of tell Brett to like, Hey, like listen up dude. And then Brett obviously eventually does help him by finding Lucas with Mason. Um, and it occurs to me that this is kind of a conversation had about how your instincts strengthen when you are given the bite, because Mason seems to be a little bit too comfortable uh, at this, like, nightclub that they're too young to be in he's not really listening to Liam about Liam's concerns and I'm wondering how this the events of this will change the way we look at Mason's instincts moving forward yeah he's really blasé yeah about the supernatural um but also Mason has not lived through um the chaos and horror of like the berserkers and Kate um he hasn't well he's he's seen a berserker one. One. He's seen a singular berserker. Um, but he has not gone through what everyone else has gone through, and certainly not what Liam has gone through. So how could he possibly know? Yeah. Um, and he's not really taking it that seriously, and it almost gets him killed. Yeah. And there are some people who just do not have that self-preservation instinct. And I think, well, I also think that that is a conversation about how instincts can be formed, mm-hmm. you know? Like, trauma breeds new instincts. Yeah, absolutely. Um any experience can. And I think that we're all about to see the way that he faces the world totally differently. Uh, let's talk quickly about Theo before we move into Q's and O's. Theo is not a massive part of this, um, episode, but the conversation and by conversation, I mean, monologue he delivers to Donovan very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is very much about instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, um, Don, the, the instincts that kept Donovan from being part of the police force might actually aid him in being a chimera and in gaining power. Yeah. And he also, you know, has a lot to say about sort of human nature where he's like, should you seek revenge? Don't see like, seek it on the people who hurt you. Seek it on the people who would hurt them the most to lose, which is why he sends him after styles. And it's one of those things where I'm like, Oh, Theo's a psychopath. Yeah. I think there actually is a different word for psychopath now, like a more correct term and term, but like, I don't know it. So, but like can read people in a way that is other 
than mm-hmm. how, you know, you and I experience a world like with a lack of empathy and therefore can manipulate them. And that is in itself an instinct. Yeah. It's really interesting to watch. Um, and because it also allows him to manipulate the people around him and not just Donovan, but Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And he just d- does just enough to get Scott on his side, like helping Lydia and even Melissa is like that tourniquet ba- a- babe, around how? her middle, how? around her middle. Just put the cut on like her leg or something. Or something. Um, no, they didn't think that far ahead. No. Um, you know, it could have saved her and Scott eats that shit up and obviously Styles doesn't because he, again, is a person who acts entirely on impulse. Um, and it's really interesting to me how Liam is able to manipulate the instincts of somebody who needs to see the good in everybody, but not be able to manipulate the instincts of somebody who exclusively acts on instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really interesting dichotomy. And you're right. Cody Christian did a good job in that scene. He earned his paycheck. I would agree. I was sitting there and I was like, hmm, this is pretty good. I'm, I'm not awkwardly aware of the fact that he's monologuing. And I think that that's a plus. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also like, I'm not sitting here <laughs> being like, well, Cody Christian really blew me away because I usually think he's a bad actor. Of course, no. I don't think that I think Cody Christian is good. And I thought that, that that monologue was an example. Well, okay. I also think that the, um, you know, the villain monologue is best exemplified in Teen Wolf by Peter, um, who does it so often. And he... Theo does fill the Peter role in this season. He, I don't know if he fills it to its full stretches, but... He fills the gap, but he is not, like, just duplicating what Ian Bowen was doing, and I appreciate that. Yes. Shall we cues and nose? Let's do it. What are your uh, questions? Do you have any questions? You know I don't have questions. Do you have questions? Um, One that will never have an answer. How is Hayden working at that fucking nightclub okay you like it even if it's an 18 and up club you have to be 21 to serve that's the rule that's the rule everywhere that doesn't change state by state no and it's just like the scene of the most stupidly expository dialogue of like hmm, i'm poor you crashed all of my drinks onto the floor now i'm not gonna make enough money to pay my rent you're 16 what's going on yeah and then like the the mean bartender like steals her test tube shots which she somehow sells on like commission i guess i suppose it doesn't make any goddamn sense yeah i have no idea it well it's like they wanted her there they wanted to create some additional conflict between her and liam and then also just hayden as a person to make us care about her have him do something stupid where he like trips her or something. Like it does or, or something. Yeah, don't overcomplicate it and don't give this fifteen year old a job at a nightclub. Especially because isn't her sister a cop? A cop. Yeah. So it would make way more sense if it was like, oh, my sister got me this gig. Like I hold the door open for people. Well, it not being made, a cocktail waitress. It kind of made me think about in Friday Night Lights. Very different show, but Tyra's older sister is a stripper. So like nobody and like everybody in the town knows everybody. So anytime like Tyra is out, like is at the strip club, everyone knows why she's there. And that like gives her a reason to be like in a space where she shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. They didn't give Hayden a reason to be in this space where she shouldn't be. No, she's just there and, and 15. Yeah. 16. Who cares? Okay. Do you have any observations? I have a lot. Yeah, I kind of have a lot too. Um... I uh, I really liked the return of the druid theme when um, Parrish was describing his nightmares. Um, the sort of chanting, ooh-ah, which um, 
kind of reminds me of Finding Nemo, but I do like it. Um, I wish that the Dread Doctors did not speak English. They are French originally. I looked it up on Teen Wolf Wiki. Oh, baguette. Oh, um, and we find out later that you know, they're trying to, you know, resurrect Le Bête du Givaudan. So I kind of wish that they spoke French. Like the fact that they speak English is so common to me. And I kind of wish that they mostly spoke French and then, oh, well, whipped out English to tell Scott that his condition is terminal, you know? I <laughs> got a little German, but it yeah, did. you're a little Terminator on that one. Well, you know, it's a Terminator. Yeah. Terminal. Terminal. Oh, Terminator. Right. I get you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. That'd be really funny. if like, <laughs> I, re- I really wish. Um, okay. Also, 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 um, canamas are werewolves. They're werewolves. Canamas are werewolves. They're just not fully realized werewolves. So like a cannon and a werewolf is just a werewolf. Yeah, it's not a crazy thing. To, and Deaton's like, oh my god. Oh my god. And that's the that example. That really, really like tells me that they were not like consulting the show bible. That nobody had really. They were like, let's bring back the cannon. Let's bring back the cannon. And like they got so into the idea that they were like, mm, that piece of lore doesn't fit our new lore, so we'll just ignore it. We just don't care. Um, I. And this is just a general observation for the whole episode. It is just so much telling and not showing. Yes. All the time. And I think that is the biggest failure. And we're only on episode four, so this could change. But in my mind, that is the biggest failure of season five. Yeah, and I think the biggest biggest example of this is the idea of the super unnatural like the idea that these creatures can be made so medically and like, um, like, synthetically that they no longer exist that they don't exist in the natural world um but are still super powerful Mm -hmm. that is a really really interesting conversation to be had and it's just a conversation that deaton has before he fucks off to who knows where and it's like come on man show that to me he's also having that conversation entirely with himself scott's there yeah but it's they're not participating it would be so interesting to me if we had a chimera who like like, if we were watching Theo's day-to-day and, like, he doesn't eat and doesn't sleep because he's a synthetic creation, mm-hmm. how, like, show us. That's part of what makes, um, like, Jackson as the canima so good. Like, the, you know, bedroom footage when he, like, wakes up in the middle of the night and you see that he's, like, totally not in control of himself anymore. Like, they were like, let's bring back the canima. That was really successful. And then they fucked it up. Yeah. Womp womp. What are your observations? Okay. So, um, I love teeth pulling and I like the giant scar, like the burn scar reminds me of my trip to the burn unit. It is so gross. Yes. In a good, we always mean that thumbs up way. Yeah, we do. Um, I thought the directing was so good in this episode. Um, I don't know if we've ever had, had this director before. What was her name? Um, Bronwyn Hughes. Bronwyn Hughes. I I really liked it. Yay, women. I thought it was beautiful. I love a good Teen Wolf rave. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> Brett's bisexual. That's cool. A bicon. Another he, Teen Wolf bicon. He dances with the one woman in that club. Yes. And then in a man. Cool. Good for him. Love it. He is so tall and he looks like Scott Michael Foster. Teen, teen Wolf <laughs> commits the cardinal sin of never saying the word bisexual out loud. But we got another yeah, one except know. for that girlfriend, that girl whose girlfriend died in the tent. Um, the Skira I Love You was absolutely adorable. 
And, uh, oh, you know what? I, I said I was going to bring this back up again. I really was kind of waddling back and forth about whether I thought the nudity when Parrish brings the bodies to the nematont was gratuitous. And you and I think had a, a really fruitful conversation um, to say that, no, it's not. No. Um, you said when we were watching it that there's something um, about being bare when you um, are taking the dead. Um and also because like the hellhound is is it feels like so much bigger than um a werewolf or a banshee it feels like greek myth of the gods um and so to have perish just be completely bare like it it is exists it's as if he exists outside of everything he's so other it's not very sexualized not at all um i think that they're you know maybe that's what teen wolf was going for actually i think they were but Mm -hmm. my reading of it is totally different and yes i did say that i think that there is an element of like being being so exposed and so vulnerable while you know caring for those who were too vulnerable you know who Mm -hmm. did who did die and i think that just kind of it's really beautiful imagery and i think i mean i also think that the way that they shoot him during those scenes um at least so far has been um have has upheld that concept for me yes yeah it's it's it it's not like you know obviously like ryan kelly is a good looking dude with yeah, very handsome. crazy muscles but it's not like we're seeing you know him picking them up off the ground and flexing his biceps and it's yeah i think that it's 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 really tasteful um not often a thing that you can say about stuff that goes on on teen wolf no so. this show is like the opposite of positive yeah, yeah. Uh, the opposite of tasteful <laughs> uh I think that wraps up Q's and O's. Do you have pack stats for us? Yeah. And um, we had quite a few eyes. We've got five. Wow. Um, I included the eyes from the drawing of the beast because that was like our first glimpse into the, the big plot line. Okay. Um, we've got two claws. Parrish was naked multiple times. So I just put down two shirts, no ads. I feel like they but drop he's off. Full Nike, so we give them two shirts per full Nike, right? I guess so. So that would bring us up to four. Okay. Four. Cool. Um, no ads. I think they drop off mostly in this season. I think so too. Um, so I haven't seen any gone are the days of gratuitous Reese's references and, and Macy's, Macy's bags. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the show was a little bit more lighthearted in the olden days. Um, and Three Sirens. Yeah. We love you, Chicago. We do. Yeah. Um, do you have an Alpha of the Week? <sighs> no. I'm going to give it to Liam. Yeah, I would agree. I would give it to Liam. I would also kind of sort of give it to Scott for keeping Kira from killing that guy who dies anyway. Yeah. Um stops a murder despite what we've complained about yeah <laughs> um not that I, okay like not that i want scott to kill somebody but god it would be so much more interesting if scott were the one to have like the moral conundrum in this season because styles has already been that person I, it really feels and maybe i'm overlooking something but throughout the arc of the series it really feels like scott um never has any doubts about what he's doing and he just always gets to be on his moral high horse and that's boring to me so boring so boring and especially since we say that scott is kind of unwavering push him push him off the edge you know and that was the whole thing about him turning into a berserker and it was one and done 
Yeah. He wasn't even a berserker for a whole episode. Boo. So not only is this season boring, it's not even challenging to like the way we're supposed to look at these things, you know? And it really pitched itself as being like the edgy dark season where everything falls apart. And it's like, yeah, but not in a way that is compelling. Like it falls at a, a, like, and there's a, there is totally a thing about being frustrated with a character. Like it's one of the great joys of Mad Men is being like, damn, Don Draper has never made a good decision in his life. But when you're sitting here being like, this goes against all of the rules established in the show and you're just trying to edgelord me, boring as hell. And if you really wanted to be an edgelord, make Scott kill somebody. Do it. See how he reacts. See how everyone reacts to that. Do his eyes change color? Derek, how good would it be if Derek were in this season and Scott killed somebody? I miss Derek. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, you the, love Derek. I do love Derek. I just, the wasted potential of Derek Hale yeah. is a tragedy. Our academic thesis. <laughs> the wasted potential of Derek Hale. I wish Your, I knew his middle name. It would be great to three name him. I feel like it's Michael. Derek Michael Hale. It is now. I just gave it, said, like, I didn't actually feel like it was Michael because I think that that's canonical it just sounded good in my head um well it's canonical now also men have like three middle names like white men it's like michael james and my brother has two middle names yeah no 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 i meant like there's only three middle names for white men oh oh, oh. but your your brother has two middle names yeah oh okay he's ian james lester because obviously you couldn't make his first name lester but it's got to be in there somewhere ah so yeah Interesting. That's the out of left field middle name for boys. It's Lester. I I guess. I guess. I feel like girls are Anna Marie. And I am neither because yeah, because my middle name is made up. Lynn. Every every girl I know, their middle name is Lynn. Every girl. I know a lot of Anne's. Actually, I said Anna Marie and my twin's middle name is Anne and my older sister's middle name is Marie. And then again, my middle name is made up. It is not a real name. <laughs> Parents, were you on crack? Just tell me. Um, Anyway, so I guess we agree um, that our alpha of the week was a Liam Scott combo and that this season sucks. Um, (laughs) If you guys enjoyed this episode of the Teen Wolf Wolf, I really hope you guys leave us a review on iTunes or now Audible if you would like. Um, If you really liked this episode, you guys can uh, buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Wolf. We're not asking, but it really would help to cover the cost of the podcast. Um, We are so thankful to everybody who has donated. We can't express that enough. Um, and if you just want to follow along, you can follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. And our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Join the discussion, share the memes, hang out with us. Um, and I think that about wraps it up. So without further ado, we hope... You- oh, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo!